After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our Top 10 Prospects podcast series today with the Oakland Athletics. And to do that, we are joined by Mark Chirelli. Mark covered the A's for MLB.com before taking a job with us as our web editor at Baseball America. He took over the A's Prospect Handbook chapter this year. Mark, the A's have made the playoffs the last three years. They finally won a playoff series for the first time since 2006 with a victory over the White Sox in the AL wildcard series. They won the division title for the first time since 2013. It really was a big positive step forward for the A's in 2020 after back-to-back 97 win seasons the previous two years. Now they enter a little bit in flux heading into 2021. Billy Bean, all reports are, will be leaving the organization. But on the field, the A's face a lot of potential free agent losses. Marcus Semien is a free agent. Liam Hendricks is a free agent. Robbie Grossman, who was a very underrated part of the team last year, he's already signed with the Tigers in free agency. Guys like Tommy Lastella, who were nice contributors after the trade deadline. So they still have a really good core. You still have Matt Olson. You still have Matt Chapman. Sean Murphy came up and was very, very good behind the plate. You have Ramon Laureano still doing inhuman things in center field. And you have a really good pitching staff, too. Mike Fires is among those who's a free agent. But they have some arms where you say, yeah, there's still a good starting rotation here. So they're a good team with talent, but there's holes that need to be filled. And right now, the players that are still in the farm system, for the most part, are not quite ready to fill those holes. So it seems like there's a little bit of a gap here they're going to have to address in free agency. And given the A's history of being a team that doesn't spend, it feels like there's kind of some question marks here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you would think for a team that was on a 97-win pace for the third year in a row, it'd be, it'd be pretty hunky-dory going into the postseason. But there are a surprising amount of questions here with the A's. And, and as you pointed out, um, no clear replacement for Marcus Simeon and the bullpen, which they relied on last year, is losing several important arms headlined by Hendricks, but also Yasmero Petit. Um, and, and there's no clear replacement there at the back end either. Um, and couple that with some of the financial losses that they and everyone else have incurred. And there's a surprising amount of unease for a team that I think a lot of people would, would cast as the favorite in the AL West. It's interesting because the Astros are also losing some very, very important pieces, namely George Springer, Michael Brantley. The Angels are making some additions, but they've been small additions so far, and they're still trying to build up the pitching staff needed to compete. So it's not like there's a a juggernaut in the AL West. It's certainly not the Rangers right now, and the Mariners are still in their rebuild. So 
it's not that the A's are necessarily out of it if they don't make any additions, but it does feel like at a certain point, given where they are and that they do have some star players in their prime, this does feel like the time and the opportunity where if you're going to do some spending, this is when you have to do it. Right. And, and with the A's too, it seems like that competitive window maybe closes a bit earlier than others. Like when we were uh, writing the intro for this, I'm, I'm already starting to think, when, when does it become time to decide what to do with Matt Chapman or Matt Olson? And um, those are really uncomfortable questions considering how good this team has been for the last couple of years. Um, but it, it's really just, a, especially with, with where we're at right now uh, as a country and economically, um, I don't, I don't know what the path is. And like you mentioned too, um, without Billy Bean potentially in place, I could see why a lot of, a lot of fans are, are justifiably concerned. So diving into this farm system, there is some promise here at the top. This is not a particularly deep system, but again, a lot of that is because the A's did everything right. They successfully graduated from their own system in recent years. Sean Murphy, Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, they acquired Ramon Laureano as a minor leaguer, brought him up through their system. Pitching staff as well, they acquired Frankie Montas as a minor leaguer, brought him up. Jesus Luzardo graduated last year. So there's not a lot of depth here, but again, it's for the right reasons. They successfully graduated a group to the majors, and that group, by and large, formed the core of a team that has made the postseason three years in a row. Tyler Soderstrom ended up taking the number one spot over A.J. Puck. And this was one of the more interesting debates we had as a staff at Baseball America, just so everyone gets a picture of the process here at BA. Mark's the primary author. He does the calls. He does the research. He dove deep on this. But there's always a lot of back and forth between primary writer and staff members. We put a lot of questions to evaluators, both inside and outside the organization. And ultimately, Soderstrom, the A's first-round pick this year, got the nod over Puck. Take us through this process, this debate, and ultimately what put Soderstrom over the top. Yeah, um, so, so starting out, I think myself, I put more distance between Puck and Soderstrom than what ultimately ended up happening. Um, you would think Puck, he's a you know, top 100 prospect, a lot of pedigree there, um, had a stranglehold on the top spot. But the more you started to hear about what Soderstrom was able to do when he arrived at Altsite, you look at some of the reports that we got pre-draft from Soderstrom where, you know, they're putting his bat up there with some of the top prep names across the entire board. Um, he really picked up some ground. And then you factor in what is the second significant surgery in three years for Puck. Um, you factor in that Soderstrom pretty much carried that momentum throughout the alt site against veteran pitchers, pitchers that the A's thought, you know, if we have to rely on these guys in a playoff run, we can do that. He performed well there. He performed well at Instructs. Uh, and he really closed the gap. And we got to a point where I think with Puck, there's just so much risk. And you compare that to Soderstrom, where everything seems to be trending up in the right direction, where ultimately Soderstrom got the nod, but it was very close. Yeah, normally in cases like this, you do give the nod to the guy who's reached the major leagues and has shown shut down stuff in the major leagues, which A.J. Puck did when he made his debut in 2019. But as you talked about, he's thrown less than 200 innings combined in five professional seasons. He had a shoulder surgery after this 2020 season, missed the whole year, had Tommy John surgery that cost him all of 2018. And while there's still a good number on him in terms of his potential and what grade could be on him, the risk is also extreme at this point. And with Soderstrom, I thought what was interesting was 
So I saw him briefly play at the Area Code Games. And again, it's just a showcase look. You don't want to go too crazy off showcases. You have to follow it up with what they're doing in games over the course of a season where wins and losses really matter. And they're playing against guys who know them and know their strengths and weaknesses. But even in that context, he really stood out the Area Code Games. The physicality, the swing, the impact in the bat. There was a, a little bit of a man among boys feeling. It was like, oh, hey, you know, this, is, this is one of the guys that jumps out at you on the field. And then continuing to hear about his progress through the spring. He did get into some games this year before the season shut down. Carlos Colazzo does our Northern California draft coverage, but just being on the West Coast, I have a lot of conversations with cross-checkers and upper-level guys on the West Coast and mostly focusing on Southern California guys, but asking about the NorCal guys too while I have them on the phone. And it was just coming back, hey, this is a real, real, real bat. There was a lot of sense the A's got a steal getting him at the 26th overall pick. And then just seeing what he did, as you mentioned, the reports from the alternate side, the reports from Instructs, you know, now it's not just amateur scouts, but the pro scouts are saying, yo, there's something really real here. The case starts to build. And I think ultimately, even though we're talking about a player yet to play a professional game, I understand that, yeah, there's a chance this is a really, really special bat. And if Puck hadn't had this second surgery, maybe it's a different discussion, but now we're talking elbow and shoulder and just concerns about what the durability is going to look like. I do get it. Yeah, I, I do too. And you touched on a couple of really good points. Um, as far as I was surprised to see Soderstrom drop to 26 and, you know, so often the story with the A's is cost cutting. <laughs> it's not spending. And they went above slot to get him at 26. Um, it's the biggest bonus given to a prep catcher since Joe Maurer. So it's, they clearly were, um, they believed in him and I think they've seen why so far. Um, when we started talking to people in the organization, they were coming back with, you know, this guy reminds me of Eric Chavez. He reminds me of Ben Grief. Like he has a chance to be the best prep bat that we've sent through this system in 15, 20 years. And it's a player development group in Oakland, which has been together for a while and had seen a lot of guys come through. So it, it was it was rave reviews almost immediately upon uh, him getting into the system. Realistically, what are A's fans looking at here? I mean, you mentioned Eric Chavez, who was one of the better third basemen in baseball for the bulk of his prime. You know, Ben Grieve won Rookie of the Year, was never quite the, the superstar that I think a lot of people hoped for him, but again, had a long, solid, big league career and, and did some good things over just under a decade in the majors. What kind of player are the A's looking at here? Yeah, I think, you know, best case uh, projection by someone I talked to in the system, and they're like, we're talking about a guy who could hit 300, and you're looking at 25, 30 homers a year. And and I know, he's got a long way to go. Let's, let's remind everyone he hasn't played a professional game yet. But it, there's power in the bat. But it's not necessarily a power over hit profile. Like, we have, I believe, sixes on both the hit and the power. Um, it's a really special bat, and right now he's at catcher, and I know there's some, some questions there as to whether he ultimately makes it out of the system at catcher, um, I think partly because of how special that bat is. But you're looking at a guy who he's advanced enough as a bat that you start to wonder, is this you know a, a fast-track candidate? Is that bat just so good that could he go out and, and start at high A despite being a, a prep guy? out of the draft. And that was something I think the A's have kicked around. I, I don't know that they're going to end up doing that. Um, but they really feel like that back can play against pitchers that are older than he is. 
Yeah, and you bring up the points about, is he going to remain a catcher? And one of the things that we've talked about, there are guys who are catchers in high school, their bats extremely advanced, and even though they move out from the position, it doesn't matter. They're still impact players. There's a long history of guys who are catchers in high school who end up being standouts in the majors, whether they're outfielders, third basemen, just because the bat's so prolific. So there was also a sense that, yes, this is one of those players who, even if he can't stick at catcher, he's still going to be an impact player, whether he's in left field, right field, third base, even first base. There's a sense that, yes, bet on the bat, and this guy has the bat. He's, he's a relatively, I think, underrated athlete, too. Um, between when they drafted him and I think when he got down to instructs, they said, this, this kid looks like he put on 10 to 15 pounds of, of good weight. He looked bigger. He looked stronger. You put him next to a guy like Kyle McCann, who was a, a, a college pick last year, and they look pretty similarly physically. Um, and I think we have maybe a 40 or 45 run grade on him, and you might look at that and be like, okay, that's, that's a plotter. And he's really not. Like, he's – He's an athletic guy. He can move around behind the plate. I don't think there would be too many concerns if he had to move to a corner outfield position at some point. Um, and, and you touched on the defense too. Uh, I should probably clarify that no one within the system has said, you know, we, we may move him. Everyone has said, we're going to give him a shot to catch. He wants to catch. Um, and, and there's been some progress there. I think the, the conversation ultimately just becomes, do you have the patience to let the catching develop knowing how good the bat is? Yeah, one thing that came up is he has the work ethic, and that's such a big part of catching, putting in the work, the physical and mental grind, and he has that. And you take a guy who's a good athlete who has that, you give him a shot. So uh, we'll see what happens, whether he sticks behind the plate, whether he doesn't, you know, time will tell. But there's a really, really strong sense this guy is going to be an impact hitter regardless of where he plays. If he can stay a catcher, all the better. But even if he doesn't, we're still looking at a, a potential special player, and that's why he – received the highest bonus for any prep catcher since Joe Maurer and is the number one player in the system over a six foot seven left-hander who reaches a hundred with a disgusting slider. <laughs> and, and he arrives at a time where this system really needs a guy like that. Because when you look at this top 10, especially relative to some of the other top tens that we've put out, there aren't a whole lot of bona fide starters at the, uh, at the big league level. Um, so I think he infused, a lot of excitement this year. Uh, and I think he's a guy that a lot of Ace fans are going to look at as, you know, this could be the next, the next big one to come through. So these were the clear top two again. Soderstrom and Puck were the debate for number one. Puck has spent time in the top 100. Soderstrom, uh, we'll see what happens when we release our top 100. We're still putting it together, but he's someone that certainly is getting a lot of discussion as, hey, he might need to be in there already, just given how glowing the reports have been out of the alternate side and instructs. The next group is a group of players who have each shown you some interesting things, one of whom has reached the major leagues. Most of them have not played above Class A level when you look at four, five, six. Take us through this group and ultimately where are the kind of demarcation points? Yeah, Jeffries was the clear three just because of what you pointed out that he's, you know, he, he, sh he showed up last year, he pitched in the majors, he's close. They're going to need some guys at some point to accumulate innings for them, whether it's his bulk relievers or at the back end of the rotation. Um, and, and Poisson at four, there's there's a lot of ability there, raw skill set. So I think he was comfortably there. Where where things started to kind of vary begins at five with Davidson. You've got Nick Allen right after. Um, 
I think there was a pretty clear top four. And then four through 10, you could even stretch it out to four through 12 or 13. Things got really muddled. So in the end, what gave Davidson the nod at the top of that group? I think the gains that he made with the bat, they said he came into the alt site and he did not have a great start to his professional career. I think his OPS hovered around 600 in Vermont, short season in Vermont. And, and there were some longstanding concerns with him. The swing is long. Is he ever going to hit enough to tap into some considerable, considerable power that we saw in college? Um, and everything we heard is that he showed up with a better approach. He looked cleaner. His actions in the field gave them a little bit more hope that this guy could stick at shortstop long-term, where I think some people wondered if he was a candidate to move to either third or second, ultimately, when he, when he gets up to the majors. I think there's a little bit more optimism there that he could stick it short. Um, whether that happens, who knows. But ultimately, I think the improvement that he made, um, and I think there's more potential there with the bat compared to Nick Allen, it gave him the slight nod. Yeah, Logan Davidson and Nick Allen, you couldn't find two players more different. One's a six foot three <laughs> shortstop, one is a five foot eight shortstop, but they've each shown you things where you say, there's something here. Nick Allen has long been known as a defensive wizard. One of the things that intrigued me was look, he's a smaller guy, they're thinking singles and doubles hitter. But I thought it was impressive, and something that I think a lot of people overlooked was he went to the Cal League last year again as a high school pick perfectly age appropriate, if even a little young for the league and led the Cal league in doubles before suffering a season ending injury. And before people say, Oh, Cal league hitter friendly, he's in the North division. The North division is not hitter friendly. All the hitter friendly parks you think of in the Cal league, they're in the South. He's doing it in Modesto. He's doing it in San Jose, his home park of Stockton. I thought that was an interesting development. And you wrote in your report, and I thought a nice comparison, the approach, the swing, if he can use David Fletcher as a blueprint just for that gap-to-gap approach, David Fletcher has very quietly become one of the most effective middle infielders in the American League. And Nick Allen is better defensively than David Fletcher is. If he can model that offensively, the A's might have something. Yeah, I agree. And and the thing that they really worked with Allen on is – I've heard this with a bunch of guys in their system. We've read it in reports with others is that he became a pro and he thought I need to get the ball in the air more. I need to lift it. I need to chase some of this power because right now people view me as the five foot eight defensive shortstop. And I need to show them that there's some pop there. Um, and he, he got into some swing and miss issues getting to that. Um, so they really worked with him to, to realize, Hey, you know, your future here is a gap to gap guy. There is a little bit more, pop in the bat than, than people might assume. But if you can get your approach in order here, there's something to work with in the glove. I mean, the glove is probably major league ready right now, but I think the work that he put in to kind of improve that approach and they did, they've, they've used David Fletcher as a blueprint gives you some hope that the bat might be passable paired with a great glove. And it's, you mentioned, you know, you can't find two people more different than Logan Davidson and Nick Allen at the same position. And I actually heard that they were both at the alt site this year and they're taking ground balls next to each other every day. And it's like, well, it's tough to compare Logan Davidson to Nick Allen watching him take ground balls every day. But you have to remember if you, if you take Nick Allen and move him away, Davidson, he can hang there. And I think that's one thing that the A's kind of either realized or, um, had to remind themselves at times too that you know McGowan is the gold glove caliber, but Logan Davidson has some skill there in his own right. 
As long as Allen hits, shortstop is his, and Davidson will move based on that. To date, Allen has out-hit Davidson, so I do want to ask, what put Davidson ahead of Allen? I think the power potential, really. It, it, what he can get to um, is something that Allen, Allen just can't match. Um, and I think there are still some concerns about Allen um, with the consistency of the approach against higher-level pitching, whereas Davidson, he sees a lot of pitches, and there's swing and miss there, but there's also a pretty good walk rate dating back to college. Um, I, I think Allen still has to prove himself in that bat once he reaches upper-level pitching, but, I mean, it was close. Those guys, there were, you know, throughout this process, one was five, one was six, one was six, one was five. We went back and forth a couple times with them. All right, Mark, I'm going to dive into this system a little bit deeper, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. And we're back with Mark Cirelli, breaking down the Oakland A's system. Mark, these top six players, there's some name recognition, there's some pedigree, again. There's definitely talent here. How many of these guys become impact players? It's TBD, and as we mentioned, Poisson hasn't played a professional game yet. Davidson hasn't played above short season ball. Allen hasn't played above high A. So there's still a lot of development to go, but... Again, the recognizable names, you see the potential. One guy who I was actually kind of intrigued to see Luis Barrera run up to number seven behind this group. When he was in Stockton, the Cal League, I didn't get a huge chance to see him, but I remember just making some calls around and He consistently came up as, this is an interesting guy. He only got about a half season there, a little more than a half season, but showed extra base power, stole double-digit stolen bases, hit for average, got on base, could play the outfield. It was a lot of... This guy's interesting. Uh, and then the following year, he went up, and it was an abbreviated season at AA by injury, but he was really, really good at Midland. And then I was really intrigued to read, based off your reporting, that he hit nearly 450 during his time at the alternate site. So it does feel like this is someone that, again, the name recognition isn't there. He's been in the system for a long time. He signed out of the Dominican Republic back in 2012, but it does feel like this might be the guy in the system who people are overlooking, but there's something there. I, I think you're right. Um, he, he, across the board came back. Barrera was probably, was our best hitter at the outside. He actually won the batting title. Like you mentioned, he had 450. He was competing with Carlos Perez and won the batting title on the last day of the outside. Um, and, and with him, there is an exciting skill set there. I think it, he's over aggressive at times to, to a fault. And the one thing that kept coming back this year was, we saw less of that. And if, if he can scale it back a little bit, he makes enough contact, he puts the ball in play. The, the A's need some guys who can put the ball in play. Uh, it's an interesting mix there. You, you throw in the fact that Robbie Grossman is not going to come back next year. And you wonder, is this a guy who can help early on in 2021? And I think they hope he is. I think he can be that guy. Um, he's definitely, you know, big time arrow up rave reviews across the board coming out of the odd set this year. Yeah, the career progression, look at each successive year, it's, hey, it's a little better, it's a little better, it's a little better. So I'm going to be curious to see what he looks like. The 8 to 10 group, this is where, you mentioned it was a 4 to 13 group where it mixed the match in different names, but it felt like the 8 to 10 group, that's where it really, really opened up. We've got a lot of guys at the lowest levels, Brian Buelvis, Austin Beck, the recently acquired Junior Perez, Versus some guys who have proven it a little more, Jonah Heim, James Caprillion, Greg Dykeman, all older, by no means any of them elite prospects. Ultimately, how did you settle on this trio over some of the other guys in the A system? 
Yeah, we probably skewed more towards the guys who were closer in this situation. There is some exciting talent. You mentioned Buelvis, you mentioned Perez, who sit right outside the top 10. Um, the, the first guy up in this mix, I felt pretty good about Jonah Heim, especially what he showed last year. He ended up winning the backup job kind of early on in the shortened season and showed some stuff. And um, you look, he's a fourth round pick in 2013. He's been traded twice. He's, he's a switch hitting catcher. He's maybe a second division regular, and you might say, Okay, but the last two years has been kind of like you pointed out with Luis Pereira, getting better each year. And pretty clear signs that um, Jonah Heim is starting to get it. So he, he slotted in the first of, of the guys that we've talked about, but we definitely skewed a little bit more towards experience and guys who were closer and could potentially impact uh, this A's MLB team sooner rather than later. Yeah, switch hitters can take a little longer and catchers can take a little longer. Heim hits both demographics. So while he's certainly been around for a while, again, as you mentioned, drafted in 2013, it's not surprising to see there might be a bit of a late bloom here. It was certainly impressive to see him, as you mentioned, come up and look, the A's acquired Austin Allen. He might be their backup catcher and Jonah Heim came up and beat him for the job. And he played really well behind the plate. Again, very, very limited sample, only about a dozen games, but did some really good things back there offensively. Again, didn't do a whole lot, but we're talking 41 plate appearances. It's hard to judge anything off that. So, yeah, no, this was a guy that I know you and I talked about. Some others on our staff were pushing back against him being on the list. But as we talked about, this is not a particularly deep A's group. He might not be in the top 10 in some other organizations, but considering what he showed in 2020 compared to some of the other guys we're talking about, it makes sense, at least to me, and I know it did for you as well, based off your reporting. Yeah, and the, the A's have a pretty good track record of, of getting more out of guys like this, or, or that maybe, you know, they're 8, 10, 12 in a list, but they come up and they fill a role. And, and to circle back to what we talked about, they're going to need that this year, um, especially if they're, they're strapped as far as spending and can't really add from outside. Um, so I think you look at Heim and you say – He's going to help you in 2021. You look at Caprillion and say, I, I think there's a role there somewhere for Caprillion. Uh, I mean, who, maybe two years ago, we were stunned that we'd be saying this right now in a podcast, but I think there's, there's a role there assuming that he can stay healthy. Um, so I think, I think you can look at these guys eight through 10, even with Dykeman. I don't know if it's right away with Dykeman, but he's, he's closer um, where you say these guys might be able to help this team. What, roles will they be able to help the team in? Because it, it does seem like just the outside looking in Dykeman, you're kind of hoping for a low average, decent power outfielder. And I think with Caprillion, it's hard to say with any confidence, this guy can take the ball 32 times a year and, and maintain a full starter's workload, just given his injury history. Yeah. I'd wonder if with Caprillion, if it's, if it's something like a guy who can give you two, three, four innings out of the bullpen throughout the season. I mean, he got, he got touched up pretty good in, a couple innings this year, but um, they are going to need some guys out of that bullpen to, to fill some innings. And I think Caprillion fits that role uh, with Dykeman. It seems like they have had a, a steady parade of left-handed bats who need to fill either a platoon role or, or a reserve role. And they haven't settled on anyone yet. So you got to wonder if maybe Dykeman sneaks in there and becomes that guy who gives you some lefty pop off the bench, can play both corner outfield positions, has a pretty good arm. Um, so he, he's older too. He's going to be 26. He doesn't have a ton of experience above the double. I believe it's like 300 at-bats plus a fall league at double-A or above because of some weird injury history. But 
I think they think he he's close to being ready. We'll be interesting to see how much Dykeman and Kukrillian are able to contribute. And if they can stay healthy, as you mentioned, both of these players have had a series of injuries. So that's a key here. The Buelvis, Beck, Perez trio, is that the other three that were kind of in consideration here? Or was there someone else? Those were the three. And of those three, it was Buelvis to, to come first. He, we were talking about him long into the process. He had a great 2019. He'd surprise a lot of people in the Arizona League. Uh, there's a lot of reasons to be excited there, um, but the tw- his 2020 reviews came back a little bit more mixed. Um, so I think it was a little bit of a, a slow the roll on Pelvis a little bit and see what he can do, assuming we can get some some more regular action in 2021. But those guys, those guys all at various points had a shot, and Pelvis was the name who kind of separated himself even from a Becker or a Perez right now. Yeah, what is the status of Austin Beck? Um, the status of Austin Beck is that if you are looking at him as the sixth overall pick, expecting the sixth overall pick type production at this point, I think you need to reevaluate. However, I, there are some people within the A's who are pretty quick to point out he's always been young for his league. He was raw coming out of high school and he didn't have, he was hurt in high school too. So he's had less development time than guys you might've expected. Uh, who were drafted that high. He came into the pros and kind of like what we talked about with McAllen earlier, adjusted his swing to chase more lofts, and it didn't work for him. He just was not making enough contact. His bat, he has really quick hands. He was just not in the zone long enough, and they've worked really hard with him to iron that out. He wasn't invited to the alternate, alternate site this year. He was invited to Instructs. I believe he was a little rusty at first down in Instructs, but over the last two weeks or so, they started to see a little bit more with Austin Beck. Um, so there are definitely some within the A's organization who were like, you know, we're not, we're not giving up on this guy yet, but the stock is, is certainly down even compared to where we had him a year ago. Yeah. I think when he didn't get invited to the alternate site, that was a little bit of a, Hey, take note here, particularly when they did invite other younger players like a Poisson, Soderstrom. I'll be curious to see, what he looks like coming into 2021. He did retire Stockton in 2019. I saw him there and pretty consistent that, yeah, you, and I saw it for myself. You can certainly see him playing a really good center field. You, you get it, the long strides, the defense, the athleticism. It's a lot of over swinging and yeah. chasing and just not, there wasn't a lot of adjustments. So I, at the same time, he was battling a couple injuries that year, too. He only played in 85 games. Uh, it was a recurring quad issue. So I'll be curious to see if he's fully healthy, what it looks like, what adjustments he's made, because I think that's going to be one of the more interesting subplots within the A's farm system in 2021. Mark, we've talked about it that, again, this is not a super deep system. They're closer to the bottom than the top, just in terms of our organizational talent rankings. You'll see that when it comes out. But again, it's for a lot of the right reasons. They graduated a tremendous wealth of talent to the majors. They made some smart trades. They traded some guys to go get some veterans to help them out. So again, if you have an option between a team that makes the playoffs three years in a row or a great farm system, you take the team that makes the playoffs three years in a row. What does this A system need to add to help a, buttress the system, and B, when the time comes, buttress the big league team? Pitching. <laughs> they, specifically starting pitching. Uh, you look at 
the guys that we have, and I believe there are only four pitchers in the top 15, and all of them have pretty spotty injury history. They need some guys who can give you five, six innings. I mean, the days of, what, the 200, 225 inning guy are, are fading away, but you still need guys who can accumulate innings in bulk, and they don't have a ton of them right now. I don't think there's a lot of excitement either about some of the arms who have been in the system for a while as far as taking the next step. Um, so they, they really do need an arm or two to take a leap and maybe surprise some people in 2021. I think it's important to not evaluate a farm system as its own entity and a big league team as its own entity. It all goes together. The point of farm system is to develop talent for the major leagues and keep that pipeline flowing. And I just go back to the A's again, have put together a really, really impressive big league club back-to-back 97 win seasons. As you mentioned, they were on a 97 win pace again in 2020, but it's pretty clear there are holes to be filled. And I feel relatively comfortable saying those holes are not going to be filled by the farm system. So they kind of have to make a choice. We saw owner John Fisher initially decline to continue paying the organization's minor leaguers after literally every other team eventually agreed to pay their minor leaguers. He reversed course and took a public beating for it. It does feel like they're going to have to spend to continue on the pace they've been on. And given that type of decision from the organization earlier this year, it does feel like there's a lot of uncertainty about what comes next. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's really glaring up the middle too. If you look at shortstop and second base for 2021, um, neither of the guys we've talked about as far as Nick Allen or Logan Davidson are probably ready out of opening day Allen is closer than Davidson but if you're putting Allen there an opening day in 2021 you're just hoping he kind of stays alive with the bat like it's almost all glove there I don't I think in a normal year they would make a lot of sense as a team who's looking at like a Freddie Galvis or someone who can come in for a year and kind of hold you over until these guys are coming through And, and the same thing happens at second base where I think in a regular offseason they'd love to bring Tommy LaStella back they they loved him when he showed up and um, he, he fills a role for them as a guy who can make contact and get on base and he plays a pretty solid second base so um, right now he remains unsigned as do a lot of veteran uh, major leaguers but um, there are some glaring needs up the middle that like you said I don't think they're getting filled or, or filled adequately right now from the farm system. You make the point. There are a lot of free agents still available. So if the A's make some moves, it's a different conversation. And I think that's where the rest of the offseason is going to be very interesting to watch from the perspective of what the A's do, who they bring in, what kind of deals they can find, because the vast majority of free agents are still available. So there's plenty of options the A's have. And I think it's now just a matter of seeing which of those they choose to exercise Mark, any final thoughts here on the A's, their farm system, just the organization as a whole? I mean, like you kind of pointed out, you'd rather be the 97-win pace team that has to plug a couple holes. And I I don't think outside of middle infield and and hopefully as a baseball fan, I'm I'm kind of hoping there's some spending there and maybe the A's can bring in a a veteran or two and um, that market becomes unglued. But I don't think there will be too many instances this year where prospects come up from the system and they're overextended which I think is a, is a good thing if you're an ace fan and if you're the ace um, and there are some interesting guys in the, the back half of this uh, top 30 who I think could be primed for a bigger year in 2021 
they just got to hope that they can get regular development time. Um, so it, I think when A's fans see our organization talent rankings come out and it's they're near the bottom, the alarm bells might go off, but um, the situation isn't as dire, I don't think, as maybe in some other some other systems across baseball. I always kind of chuckle at the people who freak out and their organizational talent rankings low. It's like, yeah, look at the banners you have out there. Look at the 97 wins. That's It's low because you did everything right. And the A's are right. one of those teams who did pretty much everything right. They graduated. We talked about Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, Sean Murphy. Ramon Laurent was a trade acquisition, but they brought him up through their system. They used prospects to go out and get some key veterans. The fact they're that low is a testament to the fact they've done everything right. And now it's just time to backfill it. And again, Austin Beck, maybe not developing the way you want Kyler Murray, not signing and taking that risk that high. Um, the A's have not had a ton of success on the international market. So to be sure there have been misses and there are things they need to work on to really bulk the system back up. But I think it's kind of foolish to criticize a team for a low organizational talent ranking when they've put together back-to-back 97 win seasons and Ron pace for a third and won a division title. Yeah, I completely agree. You mentioned the international market too. Uh, I think it went a little under the radar. You know, it's a player to be named later in a, in a trade in November, but going out of the system to add a guy like Junior Perez, who in a lot of cases is pretty similar to Buelvis in, in terms of big year in the Arizona league in 2019, caught a lot of people either by surprise or, or impress a lot of people. You go out of the system and bring in a guy like that, if the power is real and he continues to, to improve like that, that becomes a very intriguing name in your system. Uh, so it was an interesting approach. I think even if you look at what they did in the rule five draft where they brought in a reliever and maybe an outfielder to fill that fourth outfielder role, that seems to be kind of a, a turnstile right now. So the A's are, are always going to be creative and they have a lot of people in place, even if Billy Bean, isn't there in 2021 or whenever he moves on a lot of people there who have been there a long time. So I think that coupled with the success that they've, they've had over time um, should, should give you a pretty good feeling if you're an ace fan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I said, they're the Kings of the American league West right now. They're the defending champions, although the Astros did beat them in the ALDS, but we'll see what 2021 looks like as, as we talked about both these teams sustained some pretty heavy free agent losses and, there's a lot of players still left out there, so we'll see what they're able to do, who they're able to add, and ultimately how the AL West shakes up in 2021. But by no means are, are the A's out of it. Just got to see what they do the rest of the offseason. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time and insight. Thanks, Kyle. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Mark Chirelli, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Mm-hmm.